0: It's Sunday. Another Sunday. Always on a Sunday for us. Always on a
1: Sunday, but I'm not going to say happy
0: Sunday. I get it. It's because of what's going on over in Ukraine.
1: Yeah. But on the other hand, it is Palm Sunday, and it is about the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for Passover.
0: Yeah, we didn't celebrate Palm Sunday when we were growing up. I know a lot of my friends did that went to, for example, the Methodists and the Catholics did, but the Church of Christ, were, we were raised up. Every Sunday was a celebration of Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection, so every Sunday was Easter for us, although we did enjoy ham and family gatherings and getting dressed in new spring-type clothes. And of course, the inevitable Easter baskets
1: hmm. Yeah. And we always celebrated Easter with our cousins, which we're going to be doing
0: again this year, which is going to be super fun. Yeah, it's going to be fun to get together, even though we're all adults and the youngest people are in their 20s. Well, actually, no, there's going to be a five year old and a 12 year old. Great nieces are going to be yeah, there. Yeah, it's that'll going to be, be fun. fun.
1: Super fun. And we're going to have an egg toss because that's kind of like the my family's tradition is to have an egg toss.
0: We don't play. And these you know, are it's raw funny. eggs, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. we don't play for a prize. We
1: just play for the fun of it. Play
0: to avoid getting an egg on ourselves. Yeah.
1: But we, oh, and then we always have, you know, for the kids, we always have an Easter egg hunt. But for the adult kids, you know, since Joe started college, um, We started doing, and I might've even started this when he was in high school, but I started the golden egg hunt. Yes. So each child, you know, the next generation down from me, uh, has to find one golden egg and there's, you know, however many young adults there are, that's how many golden eggs are hidden, but they can only get one and there's a $50 bill in each golden egg. Yeah. That's a good treat. It is. And it's fun because I think they enjoy it, even though they're all adults. I think they enjoy looking for the golden egg.
0: Well, it's a connection to their youth and who doesn't enjoy a connection to their youth? Exactly.
1: So anyways, we're going to have a good time next. And our Easter get together is going to be on Saturday instead of Sunday. So everybody can spend Easter with their own individual families. Yeah, that'll be nice.
0: It will be nice. And in the process, um, most of the crowd will have lamb. I will have ham.
1: Yes, honey, we know your famous ham. So, you know, but Easter is not my favorite holiday, even though it's a very religious, holy time in the Catholic Church. My favorite holiday is... Pentecost. Pentecost, yes, when the Holy Spirit comes down onto Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the disciples, the apostles. And that's occurs, let's see, 50 days after Easter Sunday. So it's about six or seven weeks after Easter. I guess seven weeks. So I enjoy Pentecost because I'm all about the Holy Spirit. I 100% believe that the Holy Spirit guides us.
0: Well, I feel like that too. It's many times in my life I felt that God has a higher plan for me. And has rescued me from certain disaster. (laughs) You've been present for some of those moments.
1: But sometimes it's just even just guiding us in making good decisions, you know, and having that spiritual connectedness to to goodness.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So anyways.
0: Making a choice to do something good to help somebody and, you know, whatever the circumstances and
1: and not for our own personal gain, just, no, just doing good for the sake just of Just because it's good. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was Friday was a huge day in Detroit.
0: Well, yeah, it was the start of the new baseball season, opening day for the Tigers. And, and they, they won. won. Yeah. Oh, my God. Stereo. So exciting.
1: <laughs> have you ever been to an opening game, opening day game?
0: Not for the Tigers. I would dearly love to, and I suppose we'll have to wait till next year now. I do remember going to opening day with you and Joe in, uh, what is that we funny went to city? went to Toronto. Yeah, in yeah. Toronto on the lake. and
1: At Rogers Stadium. That was
0: quite a surprise for Denbo.
1: We went to opening day and the next day.
0: Yeah, well, it was somewhat of a surprise for me. Usually I'm a little sharper on these things, but I guess I was really busy with work or something. And you made a secret arrangement to get us checked into a hotel room that was really luxurious and had dinner ordered and dinner served and you were super oriented around what time we'd be there and you took care of all the arrangements and all I had to do was sign a thing when we registered. And as we ordered (laughs) dinner and dinner was served, it was filet mignon for all of us and the table was set up by the window, and you said, oh, why don't we open the window, The open the curtains? And on opening the curtains, we were looking out over the outfield at uh, the stadium in Toronto, and we were watching the Blue Jays it seems like it was a Kansas City Royals. It was really something.
1: It was fun, wasn't to it? To eat filet
0: mignon while watching a baseball game.
1: While watching opening day. Because I yeah. think that year I couldn't get Tiger's opening day tickets. So I thought, well, why don't we just go to opening day up in Toronto? My God, would be a riot. It was. Plus, we can watch the game from inside the hotel room. Yeah. the hotel is attached stay. to the stadium. And you're overlooking. You're literally in the outfield.
0: Yeah. You could... We opened the window and you could look out the window, stick your head out the window and look down in the stands. It was really wild. It
1: was. And they even did fireworks from down there, which was super cool. And then the next day we had tickets um, in the lower bowl, I guess, or the lower tier of the stadium. Uh, I think it was between home and third.
0: Well, you know, there's another thing I remember from that game the second day. And it's probably the only thing I remember about that second day's game. And that is they had the best frozen custard there. (laughs) It was like I was at Greenfield (laughs) Village again for their frozen custard. It was really very creamy.
1: Mm -hmm. I've been to opening day for Detroit Tigers um, when I was dating Rick, Joe's dad. And we went with his friends. And back in those days, you could get a ticket for eight bucks or something like that. But you took in your own cooler with your own Bev and food. So you could take in your own beverages. Oh, beverages. Isn't that crazy that you could take your own beverages into a Tiger game? Yeah, yeah. And the beer was what they called piss beer because it was low alcohol beer. It was horrible beer. Like, the beer that they served was all on draft, and it was terrible. They didn't serve, like, the good beers like they do now.
0: Okay, well, I get why you'd want to take your own in if it was piss beer.
1: Yeah, piss beer. So you could bring in your own beer, your own food. People brought in coolers, sat in the bleachers. I don't know if people brought in coolers into the regular seats. Um, But I do remember that was the first opening day I went to, and then... Previous to that, I think I was probably 18 or 19, I went to my first Tiger game, and um, I think I sat in the bleachers with my friends, and the tickets were 4 bucks a piece, if you can imagine
0: that. I can barely imagine $4 for anything, much less a baseball game.
1: Yeah, so that was crazy.
0: Well, I went to opening day when I lived in Chicago for both the White Sox and for the Cubs, not in the same year, certainly, but it was you know an interesting experience to see professional baseball from a Chicago other side of the lake, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And the Tigers were always a competitor to the White Sox. And I remembered the White Sox and, of course, had all kinds of Connections to the Red Sox because of my uncle and so that's probably my other second favorite team is the Red Sox because Uncle Arnold played on their team
1: Was't that awesome
0: yeah he he was pretty awesome
1: so how old were you when you saw your first Tigers game?
0: I would have been twelve, and I still have the game program. Oh my I, have, I have preserved it. It's right over there in that glass cabinet. <laughs> and uh, for all of my moves, all of my places, that's one of the things that I have made sure I kept a track of when it was time to move was where is that? I want to make sure I see that with my eyes. It's kind of like grandma's quilt. I want to make sure I can lay my eyes on it and make sure nothing happens to it. Oh my gosh, that is so funny.
1: Well, so tell me what else have you ever uh what's your most memorable your most memorable baseball moment?
0: Well, probably the most memorable was in 1973 I was technically an adult though I couldn't rent a car. And somebody had to rent the hotel room for me. I went to Detroit for some training. And they booked me at the Howard Johnson's in downtown Detroit. And it wasn't far from our training center. But it was uh, quite the urban experience for a country boy like me. And I think the first night I was in town, I ordered a pizza because I was afraid to go anywhere. I didn't know where anything was. And uh, so I, the second night I ate in the hotel. And the interesting thing about Howard Johnson's is even at that time, they were well known for their many flavors of ice cream and for their clam strips. So as I was munching on my dinner of clam strips, anticipating the ice cream to come, (laughs) I realized that in the booth next to me, I was looking at two faces that everybody of my age definitely recognized. They were not in uniform, but one of them was Mickey Lolich, one of the heroes of the 68 Tigers World Series team, and Willie Horton, another star of that season and of that game or of that series. And so I'm looking at the back of the heads of the two guys that were kind of looking the same direction as me, but I'm looking at the back of their heads and they're looking at Willie and Mickey. And as the conversation went on a few minutes, I realized that this was Norm Cash and Al Line. And I said, holy <laughs> crap, this is like the four biggest stars that I could think of on the Tigers from 68. So I was, of course tongue-tied, spellbound, and way too shy and way too immature to be thinking like I should get an autograph or four. And (laughs) so I kind of tucked it away in my mind as one of those missed opportunities over a lifetime. And fast forward to just a few years ago, you and I, and I think Joseph and Emily were with us. We went to a Tigers game. And guess who's selling a book that he just wrote? But Willie Horton's sitting at a table signing his book and somebody's, you know, ringing up the cash register for him. And so I waited in line and I got the book and I got Willie to sign it. And I told him my story. He said, oh, you really should have come over and said something because that was in an era where people were not so forward. And it was really a treasure to have people come up and say they recognized you and how much they appreciated your work. And he said, and the pay wasn't very good then either, so it meant a lot more.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And, That's super cool. Dan. Yeah,
0: and of course, I think you were with me when we were in the deli up north in Petoskey mm-hmm. and saw Bill Freehand. And,
1: and we also saw him down at Tiger Stadium and he signed a ball for Joe.
0: Yeah, and uh, at the time, Joe wasn't sure who, Bill Freehand really was, except a Tiger, but I had the pleasure of explaining to Joseph that Bill Freehan was a catcher for the Tigers and for their World Series team. And, and that,
1: Joe was a catcher in Little League.
0: That's right. So it so was, that was one of those exciting. opportunities to connect it, you know, with a young person and, you know, somebody that means a lot to me.
1: Well, I had the chance once or twice to meet a couple of famous baseball players too. The first one was uh, back in like 2013 or 2014. Our company was hosting an event at a suite at Tiger Stadium. And as the game got started, one of the reps from the Tigers organization came to the suite and I was the host. So they asked for me. And um, I remember she, the lady said to me, hey, you know, Petrie's here, Dan Petrie's here from the 1984 championship team. Would you want him to stop by your suite and talk to your guests and sign some autographs? And I said, yes, of course, that'd be great. Um, Of course, we kind of already knew Dan Petrie because he had a pitching school in Farmington and my nephew went to his school for a while. So we, you know, Dan was just always like in the neighborhood and kind of around, he's a very approachable person. So I thought, yeah, that'd be great. So, I don't know, it was a third or fourth inning and he shows up and um, of course he's huge, super tall dude. And he's, I'm introducing him to different people and we're walking around and then there was a little bit of a lull in the conversation and we're both looking out at the game. And he looks down at my wedding ring and he goes, my God, that's a gorgeous ring. And I said, oh my God, you have a gorgeous ring. I go, do you want to trade? He goes, sure. (laughs) So I took off my wedding ring, and he took off his MLB championship ring, and I put on his, and he put on mine. My wedding ring fit over the first knuckle of his pinky. Oh, my. And then, of course, his huge ring was on my ring finger, and then we both held our hands up, and um, one of my coworkers snapped a photo of the two of us together, which you've seen and have a copy of. But it was just kind of a cute moment where he, like, was Gaga over my ring, and oh my God, his ring was unbelievably huge and
0: beautiful. Yeah, I bet.
1: And then the other time I got to meet somebody famous was just a few years ago when I was working for Michigan football.
0: Oh, stop for a minute. I need to just anticipate this for a few seconds more, because I know who this is.
1: Okay, so I'm working at Michigan Stadium, and I'm kind of like a greeter or a concierge for the AD suite and for the president's suite. And there's all this buzz, you know, Hank Aaron's going to be coming down to the AD's suite. And as it turns out, his granddaughter is an alumni from U of M and she has a suite, which is across the stadium. And apparently unbeknownst to me and everybody else who was there, he was like coming to games all the time, but just very low key, you know, kind of under the radar sort of thing. So this one day, I think it was, um, Ward Manuel's first season as the athletic director, he invited, uh, Hank to come over. So his granddaughter came with him and he was in a wheelchair because it was quite a distance to walk. And so he, you know, she rolls up to the suite or whatever, and I help him get out of his wheelchair. Of course, people are just, you know, greeting him and he's talking and visiting with everybody. And he probably was in the suite for 45 minutes to an hour and so I took his wheelchair and I put it into a closet, which was down the hall. And then when it was time to leave, his granddaughter came over and she said, oh, you know, we're going to be leaving. I just wanted to get, you know, my grandfather's wheelchair. I said, sure, no problem. So I went ran down the hall to get it out of the closet and I came back. Well, as I'm bringing the wheelchair back, here comes Hank Aaron coming out of the suite. And he's looking at me and he's smiling. He's, you know, just in a great mood because, you know, of course, he's all this love sure. from all the people and everything. And... uh and he looked at me, and I and I talk about being starstruck. I mean, I I didn't know what to say. I just was like, "Did you have a good time?" or something like that. You know? I mean? He's like, "Oh yeah, yeah," you know. And I helped him get into his wheelchair, and then you know, I had to flip over the things for him to put his feet on and all that. And he thanked me, and he just was so nice. But I mean, that feeling of oh my god, I'm in the presence of greatness. And he just was so sweet and so nice, and you know. Just a, you could just feel the love. He was yeah. a very loving person.
0: Isn't that wonderful? When somebody can be so famous for things that they've done, some great accomplishments, and they're still a nice human being
1: and so humble, yeah. just really super humble. Yeah, yeah. So that was a really cool moment. Um, that was good. Did you ever play baseball, Denbo?
0: <laughs> yeah, I played baseball. And we had a large hay field behind us. And I had three younger brothers and some neighbor kids, and we played baseball. And in fact, two of the neighbor boys were older than me, played in Little League a couple of years ahead of me. So they were kind of in the third year of Little League when I was in the first year of Little League. That would be the hinger boys. They were pitchers, and my first time at bat, I faced one of the a hanger boys, and he hit me right in the left cheek with a baseball bat. So my first ad bat I got on base, it was a trend that continued for three years. The only time I got on base was when I got hit by a pitch. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I brag about having a perfect record. Um, I had a perfect record. I had no ones. I had no z- other numbers other than zeros in three years. And I had, uh, I think a few errors in the field. Um, one time I did catch a fly ball that came my way. I was busy talking to somebody over the fence that I'd been talking to during the game. I should have been paying attention to the game, (laughs) but as I was gesturing with my left hand, I flipped my wrist over and caught a ball. I, I don't know yet exactly how that <laughs> happened, but I caught the ball, <laughs> and so everybody was yelling, throw it to third, throw it to third, <laughs> and I was in uh, left field, so what the oh, heck. Oh, that's but, uh, yeah, I I think then the very next spring, when I was too old to play Little League anymore, some of my friends who also were too old went with me to the ball field, and we played a game. And on the first pitch, I hit a home run. And so I felt vindicated for three years. I was rehearsing for my great moment. And uh, so anyways, it it was a lot of fun. And then I don't think I played baseball again until I was like 19 or 20. I was working for the phone company. And we had so many baby boomers who were coming up and employed, and the bosses felt bad because the company sponsored the number one team in the, I think it was Intramural League or something like that. But anyways, they decided to throw together another team, so we were the rejects from the first team. (laughs) And I was the last person asked to join the team because I was the newest and I was working a summer job. And so I might have that uniform somewhere.
1: Oh, please. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, my God. You're going to have to put it on then.
0: But, uh, yeah, with all my recent weight loss, I might get (laughs) close to being able to squeeze into it. If it isn't all brittle and moth-eaten. But... um, (laughs) I had um pretty good fielding skills at that age um and the manager of the team didn't like to play me for some reason he had a bone pick or something but um I got every time I got to bat almost every time I got a hit, and I can't believe my average was eight fifty. I had the best average on the team, and these were all guys that were way more coordinated than I was.
1: You need to show me your technique for getting that 850.
0: Well, not like the typical baseball stance. And I I have to say, watching a batter, left-hander or right-hander, make a really solid connection with the baseball and hit that ball into the field, whether it gets caught or not. But it is one of the most beautiful scenes to me, to see that baseball go airborne Mm -hmm. and make a nice long arc. Um, but that's not the way I swung. (laughs) I, I had been fairly good as a pitcher, not really fast, but pretty accurate. I had practiced in our yard. We had one of those big wooden cable reels with a big hole in the middle And I used knives and chisels to open that hole up big enough that a baseball could go inside. And I kept trying to throw so accurately that I could get the ball pretty regularly to go into that hole. And I could do that. But my technique for getting that kind of accuracy was to pull the ball behind my head and bring my fingertip. And usually I was throwing a curve. I bring my ball over my head and go straight towards and point my fingers towards the hole. <laughs> yeah. And and what are you laughing about?
1: You're just making me laugh at you 'cause you're you're demonstrating this, so it's interesting to watch you. So as yeah, I you're throwing the curveball, I see you, yeah. So
0: as I practice this and now it's several years later, right? And I'm facing a softball pitch. That is fast, but it's thrown quite differently from a baseball pitch. It's not overhand, it's underhand. And that kind of threw me, but I said, Well, what the heck? You know, this is just a game. I'm on the rejects team. <laughs> so I essentially put myself directly in the path of the baseball and I used this from behind my head motion and swung the bat downward. And I almost always connected with the ball, almost always. And, of course, the ball would hit somewhere between the pitcher's feet. And, um, you know, it would go Lord knows where, depending on the <laughs> conditions of the dirt. <laughs> but it
1: was a hit, and it bounced. And so they were like, oh, where's the ball going to go? Yes. So, so it had was. A scramble.
0: It was a fair ball. And... <laughs> The the opposing teams didn't quite know what to do with it. And I think maybe the manager didn't quite know what to do with me because I was quite unorthodox in my batting <laughs> style. But I got a better average than everybody else on the team.
1: I can just
0: imagine. It was wacky. It was fun. And at some point, we, we did have a little bit of fun. There was occasionally some beverages consumed during the game. Though it was a city park and you weren't supposed to, I can remember on a couple of occasions being slid off the end of the bench. So,
1: playing baseball was a big thing. Like even after high school sports, it seemed like most of the guys we knew play with some type of a work league. You know, yeah. Either there'd be a coed, you know, league with guys and gals together, or there'd be just guys, or there'd just be girls softball. So, I just remember in my first. Jobs working after high school that, you know, softball was still a big thing for young people to play. Now I don't know if that still goes on.
0: Well, there, there, Midland had a huge league for fast pitch, slow pitch, and softball. They had, I think, they had women's leagues and men's leagues that were very, very busy down at Curry Park and. I remember watching when I first heard about this team that was being formed, one of the guys that was formerly on my dad's crew at Bell Telephone, guy named Rick, I won't tell his last name, was huge, extremely muscular. And I think my younger brother ended up working for him at some point. But this guy was a mountain of a man. And he would hit a ball. And I'm not kidding you, I mentioned how beautiful a home run swing is or a nice, nice long drive. Rick did not take one of those elegant swings. He just swung just a little bit with his wrists, and he would blast that ball all the way out of the park. I saw him break a car window once on the way on the outside of the outfield parked on the other side of the road. He broke a car window, for God's sakes. And he just barely swung. He barely hit an arc, but he really was strong. And so I said, well, okay, I know now why they call that the number one team, Mm because he was good. But they also had a pitcher, uh, Benny Ignatowski. And Benny was a silver-haired guy, he was uh, probably one of the more senior people in town uh, working for the phone company, and he was an exceptional pitcher. I mean, very athletic, and Benny was probably within five or six years of retirement, but he was just really an athlete. So it was fun fun times.
1: Tell me the story about that baseball that you have. What's that baseball? Is there a baseball there in the cabinet? No. In the glass cabinet? No.
0: No. My baseball is long gone. I
1: thought there was a baseball in the cabinet there.
0: No, there's a, Joe's got a baseball tucked oh. away that you tucked away for him, a Bill Freehand ball.
1: Yeah, and we talked about that, but I thought you had a special baseball.
0: Oh, I did. I'm sad to say that I got this very special baseball... And it is no longer, or it might be just covered with black electrical tape or friction tape. I had the pleasure of going to our baseball banquet in uh, West Branch. And my uncle Arnold, who I mentioned, was a Red Sox relief pitcher for several years. He ended up with the Astros and the Cubs before he finished. But most of his career was with the Red Sox as a reliever. And um, we had our Little League banquet. Little League was over. And I was still trying to enjoy the dream of baseball greatness. And (laughs) he was coming to town because he was going to be our guest speaker for the Little League banquet. And it was going to be in the cafeteria at school. And it was a big deal. And so when he showed up at our house, I think maybe Aunt Phyllis was gonna babysit everybody else while I went to the banquet with my folks and Uncle Arnold. And so off to the banquet we went and he showed me what he had that he was gonna give as a sort of prize for somebody in a drawing, was a baseball signed by the Boston Red Sox. And on the ball was his signature, and the signature of Carl Yastrzemski, who was the, um, what do they call that, Triple Crown winner?
1: <laughs> triple Crown? Yeah,
0: he was a big, big, big deal. I
1: thought Triple Crown was a term in horse racing.
0: Well, you look it up. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> Carl Yastrzemski. And I, oh, and I had a Carl Yastrzemski bat from Hillerick and Badsby. And uh, the gist of it was that there was a drawing. We had a nice banquet. He did his speech. They drew names. And I was really pleased because one of my friends got the ball. I didn't. I was a little bit disappointed, as you might imagine, because it was really cool. And uh, on the rainy ride home, you know, I was thinking about how wonderful it was that one of my close friends, classmate, got the ball. And then um, as we got home and started getting settled, Uncle Arnold says, oh, Dan, says, I forgot I've got something for you. And he had another one that he gave to me. And it was like so very precious to me. So very precious. Um, one of the things that I cherished most in my life at that tender age of 13, 12 or 13, And I kept this hidden in a drawer so nobody could find it or fiddle with it. (laughs) And um, the next summer I went off to Flint for a couple of weeks to spend some time with my grandparents in Flint. And the first thing I did when I came home, you know, hi, mom, hi, dad, down in the basement to my bedroom to get my ball. I wanted to look at it (laughs) and it was gone. Oh, no. So I called immediately for my brothers. They were all absent. They probably knew what was coming and decided to leave town. And so I said, well, okay, I'm going to go to the garage and start looking. And sure enough, I found it. It was still a baseball. It still had the hide on it, but it had only the fragment of a signature on it. Those, my beloved brothers, who I love to this day, I let them live. That's a sign of how much I love my brothers. Oh my they had lost the ball that was the their ball, and they went looking for another baseball to keep playing while I was in Flint, and they knocked all of the signatures off of it. Oh, my God. My precious baseball
1: you must have been so sad.
0: Well, they would have been like nine or ten. and How could they know?
1: They couldn't know, but you were very forgiving then. You didn't beat them up over it.
0: I might have. No. <laughs> You'll have to ask them. You'll have to ask them. But you um, must
1: have been so disappointed. Oh, I was
0: crushed. Crushed.
1: Oh, it's so sad.
0: So... Uh, there is another baseball story in there. There is? Yeah. If I you can love imagine.
1: baseball stories, Denpo.
0: Well, my Uncle Arnold had one baseball card, and it was when he was with the Cubs. And so many years later, I bought his card, and I got his signature on it, which was really a treasure. And so... Off I go to live my life as an adult. Uncle Arnold passed, and when he passed, I decided that there was a really appropriate place for it, and I brought his baseball card to the funeral home, and in his casket they had a little drawer that was opened where mementos could be put, and I decided to put that baseball card with his signature on it, in that little drawer that was in his casket.
1: So he would be buried with
0: it. Yeah. And uh, my Aunt Phyllis said, Dennis, I, I don't think you should do that. I said, no, I want that to be there because he was a professional baseball player and there's lots of mementos and lots of memories. But my fondest memories are associated with his association with the team. I saw him on the baseball field at Tiger Stadium even though he was playing for the Red Sox. And he threw a pitch or two to me on occasion. And I said, this is just something I want to make sure and leave there. And that fellow says, well, if if that goes in the ground with him, it's never coming out. I said, well, it'll be with him. And about three years later, at one of the family reunions, guess what I get as a gift from my niece, Becky, but an Uncle Arnold baseball card with his signature on it.
1: Oh, that's so sweet. I do remember that. Yeah. That was so nice.
0: Yeah, what a sweet girl.
1: Yeah. Well, Becky's probably listening, so. Well, I hope so. Thank you, Becky, for making my Denbo's day. Yeah. Especially after that crushing thing of losing the ball with all the signatures. And here's something somebody did nice for you.
0: Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure it was your dad, Becky, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) And yet he lives.
1: (laughs) And then his daughter gets something nice for you. Yeah. Uh, Well, Well, That's full circle for you.
0: Yeah, it is. Life is a full circle. It is. It really is.
1: Well done, but we got lots of baseball ahead of us.
0: We only hope.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to go to some games and enjoy just hanging out at the field. And that's something that since we've known each other, we've always enjoyed going to a couple of games. And
0: Yeah, I like that Tiger Den thing that we've done a couple of times. and. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday we'll have a buffet again and not feel too worried about COVID. Yeah, I don't
1: think I'll be going to a buffet anytime soon. Oh, I I, I will. You know what I would (laughs) know?
0: I mean, when the COVID is gone.
1: That's not going to be for years, honestly. Well, we'll see. So here's what we're going to do, though. We can go to sit in the Tiger Den, and then we can order our, you know, gourmet hot dogs and hamburgers or whatever we want, and... Sit in the shade and enjoy the game. Just be out, just being outside. Yeah, it's well, so beautiful Comerica un- Park.
0: Until this public health emergency passes, yeah, that's what we can do. Yeah, and a ballpark hot dog is pretty tasty.
1: Exactly, it'll be fun, good times, Denbo. All right, well, this has been fun. Yeah, and we'll look forward to chatting again next Sunday.
0: Well, let's. Maybe we could do some more pitching tonight.
1: Pitching woo?
0: Put Pitching woo, yes, to you. <laughs> pitching woo to you, too.
1: All right, darling. I love you. I love you.
0: Pitching. Always.